that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola. Getting to spend time with two of my favorites today. We've got the one and only Rosella Rago and the notorious P.O.B. himself, Pat O'Boyle, on what I think is going to be a really interesting call because it's a topic that I'm convinced everybody out there in the audience is going to want to hear about and a, a new and exciting resource in Italy that I think all Italian-Americans are going to want to take advantage of once they hear our conversation today. So, Ro, great to be back with you. You are calling in from what? the office, the house in Brooklyn. Where are you? I'm in my apartment where I can't touch anything. <laughs> yeah, your apartment is like a museum. It's like a, an Airbnb, actually. It's like we, we always keep it nice for guests that never come. Yeah, for those who don't know Ro personally, her husband, Nick, is, uh, I would say, fastidious in terms of his sense of, uh, of place and organization. And so Ro's house has got everything perfectly placed i think you're a little bit less concerned about that than nicky i think he's driving that bus he is driving the bus but i am grateful that if it was not for my wonderful husband we wouldn't have this glorious china closet (laughs) and in my china closet i have a solid sterling silver saint anthony statue gifted to me by the one and only patrick o'boyle word (laughs) i dust it constantly pat do you think of me when you dust it, you say a little prayer for me? I do. I do. The best gift I ever got was Rosella sending me her grandmother's take on that St. Anthony statue. I mean, she loved it. She was very impressed with it. Yes, yes. That was the ultimate compliment. She was very concerned with how much you must have paid for this, which I'm sure was not a little bit of money. The Nono Romana compliment is the greatest compliment in the world. Where did you get that, Arthur Avenue, that statue? I know people. <laughs> I make stuff happen. You do find the most old school Italian American gifts ever. You're really good at that. For for our engagement party, he gave Nicole and I a new old stock, which means for the the uninitiated, means something vintage that's never been sold before. So it's in a store for almost frozen in time. And Pat tends to be able to search those kind of stores out. So he got us a beautiful set of cutlery for our new home, which is obviously impending now. Italian cutlery from the 1980s. Yeah. But never used. Never. I mean, never taken out of the box. Never used. Yeah, never used. Ricky Apovera years. He gave my husband like a 30-pound St. Nicholas. Uh, I don't even, it, it's not a paint. I mean, it's like a. It's like an icon. A, like it's a, an icon. It's icon. It was Nikki's 40th birthday. It was Nikki's 40th birthday. It's a good, I mean, it's funny you say that. We got a gift like that from my wife's aunt in, uh, in Abruzzo uh, when we got married. It was this big silver icon of our lady and it was so italian it was like that you couldn't ask for more italian gift than that for the newlywed couple did you hang it over the bed that's where it should have been hung yeah we haven't hung it over the bed yet it's definitely different than our decor it's definitely from the 80s so 
a little bit out of place. You're all about retro. <laughs> Those rules don't go anymore. That's out of place or that's the millennial selectiveness. Sometimes it's in place. Sometimes it's out of place. I mean, you know, I, I have no say in how my house is decorated. You realize that? So that's the, that's a different story. That's yeah. A different story. Now, if I, I mean, if I had that's my, a different. I'd have 9,000 vintage posters of Italy and stuff that's like true. that. And yeah. Busts of different Italians, but not to be, not to be my office. Then I can mess around with that kind of stuff. But the house, I have no say in the decor, but uh, bringing home that kind of stuff from Italy, going to see family, getting those gifts, people who know you. And I don't know, there's something very heartwarming about that, like Pat's gifts to Rosella. And it's appropriate to the conversation we're having today because taking something back from Italy as a souvenir or as a memory from a family member is one thing. Taking something back from Italy that gives you your family history, your ancestry, and your sense of self is quite another. And it's a recurring topic, obviously, on the Italian American podcast, the idea of finding yourself and your family and your history in Italy. And uh, today we have a conversation that I think is really going to give, as I said, an important resource to people and a reference point to people for doing just that. Because we know no matter how much we work on it and uh, advice you get and services you can purchase or, or pay for, it's a very difficult hurdle sometimes for people. I think that people have a lot of fears about searching out their genealogy and finding their family. And uh, there's a new resource in a part of Italy that's near and dear to us that Pat in particular has been working with and wanted to share. So Pat, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce our guest and the topic of today's show. One thing John and I have been very fortunate to have is relationships. And we have Juicy Dede on the phone. And she works with our very good friend, Michele Cartuscello. And Michele Cartuscello is one of the premier Italian genealogists. He's so good that he found, John never knew that his viola line originally came from Latonico. Yeah. And it was through Michele's work that John found out that his ancestors had only been in Sansa for a period of time, but they had originally been from Latonico. And genealogy is not as popular in Italy as it is here. I think it's starting to become popular in Italy. I think when you live in the same place, your ancestors live forever. You have a little bit less incentive because it's all around you. I think Americans and just Italians outside of Italy being separated from Italy. There's a nostalgia. There's a curiosity of the mystery of their roots. So I think a lot of Americans are the ones that instigate that started this movement of genealogy. But I think it's starting to, to pick up in Italy. And Michele has formed what's called the Museo del Cognome, which is the Museum of the Last Names, which is a on-the-ground monument tribute working laboratory for genealogical research. Giuse works, basically, she's Michele's window onto the Anglophonic world, because I know that Michele, uh, English is not his thing. And Michele just came out with a book. And because of all the great work that they have done, and the, the amount of our listeners who have a real love and passion for genealogy, we want to bring Juzi on to talk about uh, Michele's book, the Museo del Cognome, and, and what they're doing in Padua. So Juzi, it's, a, it's an honor to have a friend like you here on the podcast today. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure being with you here and uh, talking about the museum and the book Michele wrote uh, last year. The book is not the usual biography and usual, the usual guide you can read everywhere. It's a journey. It's a journey, a mix of feelings, science, genealogy, and experiences Michele had 
along the years when he started for the first time to check uh, vital records. His history, uh, family history's passion, his interest in genealogy started when he was 16 years old after he lost his father. No one could tell him anything about the family history. His father was an immigrant in Venezuela. His mom couldn't tell him anything more than she knew. Just a few photos, a few pictures, some words, nothing else. And after Michele asked his mom, Mom, I want to know more about our family. She said, go to the town hall and start your research investigation. So Michele started to work on his family history for a personal reason. He started by going to the town hall of Padula. He was really, really young, as I told you before. And he didn't know anything about genealogy, anything. So the employees there told him everything from the first step to the last one. So when Michele lost his father at 16? When he, was, when he was 10 years old. Oh, when he was 10 years old, I'm sorry. So when Michele lost his father at 10 years old, yes. he had all these questions about his father's family. His mother couldn't answer them, and that put him on yes. the drive of exploration, on the journey of, expo- of exploration to find out his, his family history. And I know he was in the restaurant business for a while, but yes. if I'm correct... His love for genealogy led him to leave the restaurant business and he took his, a, a hobby of genealogy and made it into a full-time business. And because of that, he's produced this book, which is now available in English. Why don't you tell us, Juzi, because you are his ambassador, because you speak English, to all the Americans who come, you know, Americans, I'm sure you have some Canadians now, uh, Australians, as they're more and more removed from their own Italian roots over time that come to search out their roots. Why don't you give us some of the stories that have maybe moved you or impressed you about people coming to Padula to use your services to the Museo del Cognome to find lost roots that they have in Italy? Well, I just want to say that we as Italians here in Italy, we have a different vision of genealogy. We don't consider genealogy family history so important until someone in our family passes away. It's different from an Italian-American, from an American living abroad. It's a different awareness, okay? And the same happened with me. Um, I never knew anything about genealogy. Uh, I started to work on my family history when I started to work with Michele. Uh, but the difference is that when someone from the USA or Brazil or South America or anywhere in the world come here, they start to cry because they um, feel there is a connection with, with their past. This is the thing that impressed me uh, most. And... Um, it's something that um, I always remember, the faces, the emotions, the feelings of the people who come here, ask for anything about the family. They tell about the story they hear in the family, 
And when we find out something, I see the tears in, your, in their eyes. And this is the best thing. Is there a particular story or stories that stand out in your mind, maybe very interesting discoveries. Like John, John had no idea that when his family left for America, when his grandfather left for America, he left from Sansa. No, so bon- bon I'm sorry, Buonabitacolo. Um, and John assumed that his viola roots were always in Buonabitacolo. But Michele found out that just a few generations back, John's family was in Latronico, which is actually in a different region, you know, a little bit of a hike, not that far in Basilicata, have you had anything interesting like that for your own family or for other people you've done research for, like a, a wow or something really impressive or shocking or something that stood out? Yeah, just, all the stories are important, but um, a story that I remember, and uh, when we went two years ago in Oliveto Citra, not far from Padula, about one hour, two hours, and we were on an ancestors tour with an Italian American, and uh, we were in the church, checking by checking the records and listening to the priest explaining everything. And this American, this woman, um, started to cry when uh, we show her, we showed her where the grandmother was baptized. For us, Bolivia is not important, but I, I know that you as Italian-American living there, it's something different. Tell us a little bit about how this museum itself was born, because, you know, Michele has gone from an amateur seeking his family history to a world-renowned genealogist, obviously followed his passion. But the museum itself, I think people need to be aware in the town of Padula, which is in the uh, southern part of Campania, it's home to a UNESCO World Heritage Site in the Certosa of Padula, which is a, a charter house, a religious charter house, one of the more beautiful architectural treasures of the South. But it's also a very picturesque and ancient town. And this museum is not just an online resource. It's not just a creative name for a business in uh, genealogy and research. It's a physical museum that offers a lot of services for people all over the world with ancestry in Italy. Can you talk a little bit about what the actual museum's operations are and uh, some of the services that are available? Because I think people oftentimes fear the first step needed to go and, uh, and begin this research or some of the costs associated. But at the Museum of the Surnames in Padula, you can do research on the family, uh, you can get guidance, there's actual archives available digitally, there's uh, opportunities to go through military records and uh, notary records, and there's interesting displays on family histories of famous Italians around the world. There's so much you can do. Tell us a little bit about what the museum is like on a day-to-day basis and what people can expect if they come to the museum looking for help. Uh, the services we offer here are all connected to genealogy, but it's not just about genealogy. We plan ancestors tour. It's a different kind of tour, not the usual tour. Uh, for people who want to step into the past and go back into the past and walk 
along the alleys and visit churches and just local food. So this is that traditional tour. Uh, we also um, give people the chance to get certificates. You know that most of the last name changed when people moved abroad. And most of the people in the South or in the United States too, they don't know anything about the family. Just few dates, um, a name, a last name that changed. So we help them to figure out the right last name and the answer so they can apply to be recognized as Italian citizen. We also analyze documents, letters of our ancestors uh, to figure out the character, the mood. Let me jump in here for a second. I think it's an important point to make clear to people in our audience, beyond the museum and the genealogical research and the time you could spend there, ancestry travel is a booming business and uh, something that a lot of people are taking up right now. So you can work through the museum to plan your own ancestry trip and go see your town and things like that. But the last part that you're talking about, which I find really interesting, is the analysis of family documents, which I think is a stumbling block for a lot of people. So everything from letters that you have inherited, family heirlooms, family documents that are handwritten, postcards, things like that. Oftentimes people don't realize the methodology of handwriting taught in Italy even now is different than taught in the United States, but in older eras, it's particularly different. So a lot of times families may have letters and things like that. that They not only can't read in the Italian, but can't actually decipher the handwriting. And so the museum has experts who will do that on your behalf. That's a huge gift to people because those are treasure troves of information and they give personality beyond, you know, dates and, uh, and locations and things like that in normal genealogy. So you're actually able to bring people's stories back to life as well. There is an expert who collaborates with us. She analyzes uh, any kind of document, not records, letter, postcards, to check personality in any kind of things that could be interesting to learn more. Graphology is a kind of science to see and to check and to give a general idea of the personality of your ancestor. This is interesting. It's not just about genealogy date, uh, dates or places of origins, because you can see if there's something about you that was in, in your ancestor calligraphy. So it's more than genealogy. So she's not just analyzing the documents for their content. She's actually analyzing the handwriting style and the person's personality. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's the best shot we have. I I think back to having conversations with the elders of my family as I've gotten older. I remember being with my paternal grandfather's brother. He was was terminally ill and uh, my grandfather had predeceased him and my brother and I were spending as much time with him as possible and trying to, you know, just learn about the family and take him out and give him a good time. And we took him to Atlantic City, he and my great aunt, and spent the day together at the casino. Everybody was really happy. And we sat down for coffee at the end of the day. And uh, he watched me put two heaping scoops of sugar in my espresso. And he kind of looked up at me and laughed. And he said, you take your coffee just like my mother did. That would be my great grandmother. And 
I couldn't tell you what a gift that was because I've always been one to dedicate myself to genealogy and the records and how far back you can go. But just a little thing like that to know that you do something that a family member that you never met did or, or find out a personality about them or hear a story about them. That's like uh, so much more meat on the bone than just the outline of, of your genealogical tree, you know? It's not easy to find these kinds of documents. Most of the people lost these letters. It's sad because they are part of your family history. So it's really, really difficult to find letters or postcards. So when, when we tell people about genealogy, we say uh, all the visitors, all the people who come here, please keep your anything about your grandfather, your father, your mother, your parents in, in a box or digitize anything because it's important to keep the memory alive. Pat, bro, do you guys have any records like that in your family? Anything like me? Yeah, like personal, those kind of personal heirlooms from your, from like, what's the, mm. what's the most important heirloom you think you have that ties you to your family history? The only thing I've ever really found was my grandfather's passport. Wow. Uh, when he went to Venezuela. And that's really the only thing I've ever got, even though my, my known is alive, like doing this research for my, upcoming book you know she's really starting to forget so it's hard for me to get actual facts anymore from anyone you know i asked her what year did you become an american citizen she doesn't remember that anymore wow but you know um i always tie my husband's family into my family because we did come from the same place so last year when my father-in-law passed away we were putting together the photo boards for his wake and stuff and you know i found his uh working papers from when he worked for Texaco on the ship. And I found a lot of documentation for when he went to America and stuff. There was a lot more meat and potatoes, you know, from his side of the family. My side of the family is super elusive to me. Like even my dad doesn't like to talk about his side of the family, you know, estranged for like 30 years. But my grandfather had, on uh, my paternal grandfather actually had the much more interesting story that I uh, it's crazy to think you know in 2021 where we can have absolutely everything and we think so much information is available to us I'll never know some stories my paternal grandfather came to this country as a stowaway wow in in a ship and then um I think that the U.S. is doing some something it was the early 60s and uh, they said, okay, so if you like come forward and stuff, we won't get mad. <laughs> <laughs> and you can call more people to come. So, you know, I'm sure this story was embellished and dressed up. But the, the fact that you can never know something, no matter how hard you try, or just like, it, it's crazy to think about because we're in, a, we're in a world and in an age where we think we can have whatever we want. Yeah, you're so right about that. That's an amazing point. I, I never really thought of it that way. You know, these little nuggets, like a handwriting analysis, they fill in blanks that you otherwise just can't get no matter how much you believe it. I think people, you know, people are learning now that yes, the records are digitized and they're better kept than the sort of common mythology said that they were. But to fill in those little things to get those stories, you know, it's why I always say to people like, 
if you don't know your distant relatives, take the time to get to know them because you get a nugget here and a nugget there. I see, you know, people who are obviously using genealogical services and DNA services and being connected to family they didn't know they had, or people who are creating Facebook groups and, you know, cold calling relatives and asking them what's in their possession is something we never really think of. But, you know, in one or two generations, particularly in large Italian families, a lot of the physical material history of our families gets dispersed amongst totally separate branches of the family. And they may exist somewhere, somebody who you maybe know a little bit. It just takes a phone call. Like I think of, um, I mean, I know my aunt and I are very, very close. And when my grandmother died on my dad's side, my aunt inherited, you know, the work to clean out all the stuff. And years later, she was still going through books and things. You know, when I grew up with my grandparents down the block, I was with them almost every day. And in, out of a book fell a love letter that my grandfather had written my grandmother. And my grandparents had one of those marriages where they just basically screamed at each other all the time, but they did it for 50 years successfully. And so to find sweet, flowery, loving language from my grandfather to my grandmother, of course, he was apologizing for a fight that they'd had while they were still dating, which is perfect. But uh, it was such a dimension. And even to people that I knew really, really well, like you're saying, you know, there may be information about Nona Romana out there and you know her better than anybody, but it just adds another dimension, seeing them outside of even your relationship with them. And then beyond that, these older generations, it's, uh, it's a gift that I think people don't even understand that they can have access to. Well, of course. I mean, I think I'm in a unique position because all my family is from the same place. But fact is that my grandfather spent quite a long time in Venezuela. Mm. Um, when I add up the time that my, my grandmother and grandfather were, were together, I mean, they were married for eight years. And most of that time he spent in Venezuela. So, I mean, I'd love to believe in the fairy tale story that I was told, but I've gone on Facebook and I've looked up, you know, his last name and there there's people in Venezuela with that last name. So (laughs) delusions uh, uh, or fantasies that, uh, that, you know, he was just, you know, uh, going to the movies and uh, saying prayers every night. Uh, (laughs) But uh, do I know for how can I ever really know for a fact? I mean, I've also never really brought this up to my mother because the memory of her father is just really, uh, precious to her. So it would it would have to be something that I would have to do entirely on my own. I would receive no support <laughs> if I looked into this. But that's the only thing I can really think of where like the story, uh, the story gets the, the circle gets bigger. In every other sense, all my family's in Maladi body and I don't want to talk to most of them. So <laughs> no, but what I, I've said to John over the years, if I could do one project to have fun on the podcast, it would be to do your genealogy because we tease you about being from Mola, but really, I mean, how much do you know beyond your, your grandmother's parents? Um, I don't, I do know that my grandfather, my nonna's husband was born in Conversano, which is the, the town next door. But you know, beyond that, it's, it's not like someone was from Paris or anything like, but I'm saying like, even with John, like even in my own family, I was doing my own stuff online with the city hall records of Pian di Sorrento. And I found out it would have been my grandmother's great grandfather who was born in 1790 came from Vika Quens. I had no, my grandmother would have known. No one would have known. I mean, this guy was born in 1790. 
And it, it, the town hall records in Piano di Sorrento says he, he moved as an infant. His marriage records say he's been living in Piano di Sorrento since his infancy, infancia, which I guess would be like his, his younger years in Italian. I would say, you know, like kindergarten type age or more or less his childhood. And it made sense because the name is almost unknown in Piano di Sorrento, the name Lardaro. And I said to myself, wow, this makes sense now because I went in on, on a Facebook group for Vika Quentin stuff and the name Lardaro is all over there. Now, like I said, this is a guy who, who left there probably 1795, 1800. And that's so far back. I mean, I guess maybe my grandma's mother might have known, you know, because it would have been her grandfather. But no one else in my mother's family had any idea. And my grandfather's side, I found out so many interesting things. I found out that, you know, in I guess it's like the 1760s. I had an ancestor from San Teodoro and Saramazzano who wound up in Valle di Cilento and then in San Mango Cilento. I mean, this is a guy who was probably a contemporary of George Washington. And none of my mother's family in San Mango had any idea. So what I'm saying is like, we should get Michele on board. I would love to go back and maybe deep down there's some Nabudan, some Campania ancestry in Rosella. Who knows? Because look at John. John and our producer, Stephanie Longo, actually found out that way, way back when they have ancestors in the same town in Avellino. Yeah. So you never know what's going to come up. I mean, it's funny you say that because, you know, we're talking about the museum. We're talking about Michele and, and Juzzi and the team. And to put some color to the conversation about my own ancestry, you know, Pat and I, I, I was very close to my grandfather. I'd been to Bonabitacolo, which is a little hamlet in southern Campania, not very far from my grandmother's town of Sanza, where her family has been for a very long time. And now my grandfather's got, you know, cousins that he left behind in Italy who still live in that area, still live in both those towns. And so I always assumed that that was where his family always came from and that we were having trouble with the records. And my grandfather and his brothers obviously didn't know too much about their parents' history. And, you know, we just kind of thought we were coming up on a hard stop on the, on the viola line. And then through my own research, I realized that my great-grandmother was actually from Caserta. And so she ended up with my great-grandfather in, in those towns, but we couldn't find my great-grandfather. And Pat arranged for Michele to dig as a surprise for me on one of our trips to Italy and not only did he find all of these records, and it was actually the first time I ever got to see my grandfather's birth certificate, which is probably the most chilling experience in all of this genealogy for me, but he found that the violas had moved from the town of Latronico, as Pat says, in Basilicata, which again is not a very far leap, but it is across a regional border. And I had no idea that my family ancestry was in a different region. And then Michele actually arranged to take us to Latronico while we were on a business trip. And uh, gosh, I mean, they gave me a key to the city. They took me to the house where my great-grandfather was born. They almost named the town here. I mean, <laughs> no one in history has ever gotten a better reception no, they than really, Latronico did no, for you. They really, our friends really did a, a great favor to me. And But the thing that was most amazing, I think, about it was that there were so many relatives that were still there. I mean, Pat and I toured a biscuit factory, a Tarala factory, called Viola Tarala, and it was a, a family member of ours, a cousin that had stayed when our branch left. And it was like uh, this uh, totally different history than I thought I knew. And I was always so confident in those areas because my family was so participatory there. And I, I knew it from my childhood that to find there was another uh, whole nother geography, a whole nother culture 
a whole other family uh, living in a different part of Italy, it just redefined how I thought of myself. It was one of the most amazing gifts I could have. And, and like Pat's saying, even thinking I knew so much, the further you dig, we think of Italians as staying in one place for a thousand years and leaving these towns, you know, to come to America. But the truth is people moved around a lot more than we think they did. And on all of my branches, the further I've dug, the more I've realized people came from all different places. So I have this wealth of history, culture, geography to dig into now and places that I can feel a part of. It's like the biggest gift in the world. Like my ancestor who came from San Teodoro in Saramazzano, he was, I guess, a woodsman, a carpenter, like a woodworker. And he wound up in Valle Cilento. And I have no idea why. It's the only, per- only, only time I've seen in my genealogy someone who was a woodworker. And I thought to myself, well, why, why did he make that move? You know, like I said, this, this was a move that was made like when Thomas Jefferson was like in diapers. I mean, I'll never know. It's completely lost to him. At least in this life, I'll never know. I have no idea. You know, the, the benefit that Italy has is because my father's side, Ireland did not get record keeping until about 1831, 1829 to 1831, when the Catholic Church was kind of emancipated in England. And the English didn't even keep civil records because they just considered the Irish chattel. So on my father's side, I know through just oral family history, I can get my family back to 1802. Plus my father's family, my grandparents were second cousins. They were really like eight different ways. We're like Habsburgs. It (laughs) It makes it so much easier. But I actually found my cousin found uh, a woman who's related to us in Canada whose family left Ireland during the famine and she can get one of my ancestor lines in Ireland back to the 1600s almost it was all oral when her ancestor went to Canada the time of the famine she kind of recorded all the stuff that she had known from Ireland because in Ireland there was a very strong oral tradition but the reason I bring it up is that in Ireland, there's a dead stop at 18. You can't go back past 1831. But the beauty of Italy is in a, Italy in 1831 was like last Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, the civil records in the south of Italy go to about 1809, 1806. And then once you pass the civil records, the church records, I mean, some of them go back into the 1400s. So you can really do in-depth research in Italy. Juicy, let me ask you a question. What is the theme behind Michele's book? Um, Michele wrote this book because he wants to catch the attention and attract people on genealogy. As I told you before, it's not the usual guide. It's a journey through his experiences in life and job. And, and he wants to let people know that history, our ancestors, our past is more important than Uh, we know. And if you start to work on your past, on your family history, you can learn more than you expect. Our past is just not about numbers. We are talking about people, our stories, our ancestors, what we are now and what our ancestors were in the past. This is our DNA. We can't forget them. It's just to keep them alive along the years, to leave people, young people, a story, to push them to start with the family story. Genealogy is any like other subject. We don't study genealogy here in school. It's unbelievable. 
So Michaela started to write this book to talk about his life experience in genealogy, his family history. We talk about like unexpected discoveries. I could do a whole episode. There was a mystery in my grandmother's family. I don't think she realized it, but like I said, I lived with my grandmother and I had all her oral history. And when I found out that her great grandfather was born in Vika Quentin in 1790, I had no idea. My grandmother's line of the family came from a second marriage that he had. His wife died when he was in about 52, 54, and he remarried a woman who was 30 years younger. And he started a whole, um, uh, she was in her early 20s, he started a whole second family with her. And I'm descended from the second family. And I had no idea that uh, the woman that he married, which would be, I guess, would be like my second or third great grandmother. I have to do the math, but my third great grandmother, she was an orphan. She was abandoned in a, uh, I guess, a convent a few hours old in Piano di Sorrento in May of 1821. I was stunned. I was absolutely blown away. And when I saw that it said that she was left at a poke order, like within a few hours of birth, I was absolutely blown away. I had, and you know, I've met so many people and uh, one I know in particular listens to the podcast, a lot of people who are adopted, who are trying to find their biological roots. And I never had the experience of adoption close to me. And when I found this ancestor who was abandoned and adopted by a family, I was just absolutely stunned because it brought it so much closer home to me. But there's all these little pieces to the puzzle um, and all those pieces kind of made up me. But I, I would never have known unless I had done this real in-depth research, the kind of stuff that Michele does. And that's why I know when, when they're talking about the book as a journey, it's a journey of experiences, right? Because the fact was I had a great grandfather who married a woman 30 years younger than him that was an orphan. That's a fact. But what are the emotional connections with that? Um, my grandmother, like I said, came from the second marriage. She came from from the girl who was 30 years uh, younger. She had cousins that were in the United States that came from the first wife and they never really bothered. And I wondered to myself, was there a separation because the age difference was so big? Was there resentment from the first family? Because my grandmother's great grandfather, his wife died in July and he remarried in November. Like I said, a woman 30 years younger. Was there, was there pushback from the kids? You know, you're marrying a girl younger than us. And that's where I see it's a, it's a journey because that's when facts turn into emotions. Yeah. That I think is what the, the crux of the book is. Ah, summer. The time to get out and enjoy a little aperitivo picnic. Why not celebrate your Italian-American pride too and enter for your chance to win a Mediaset Italia picnic pack to take with you? It's easy. Just snap a pic that says Italian-American to you, post it to Instagram, and tag it with the hashtag IHeartMediasetItalia. Be sure to also follow at MediasetItaliaUSA and you can win a picnic prize pack sent to you in the mail. New winners will be chosen every week. The picnic prize pack includes a picnic basket and blanket, a meat and cheese board, plates, utensil set, a pair of wine goblets, and a wine opener. Check out and follow at Mediaset Italia USA on Instagram to find out more. And after a long afternoon picnic, return home and enjoy summer entertainment on Mediaset Italia. There are new episodes of Temptation Island, Avanti Un Altro, and Ciao Darwin, and drama series Mazzantonio premieres in July. I mean, that to me is the whole joy of doing this. Like I, you know, it's intimidating to even begin for people, particularly those who are not passionate about it. I mean, you, Pat, of all people, I always say to people, for an amateur genealogist, 
you have either the best luck or the best dedication of anybody I've ever met because uh, I'm thinking back to our um, when we filmed the episode of Greetings from Italian America. For those of you who have seen it or, or if you haven't, definitely check it out on YouTube. We spent a couple of days in Pittsburgh, me, Pat, and Roe, exploring the Italian-American side of Pittsburgh. And uh, our first stop for recording, I don't know if it's the first part on the episode, but our first stop in recording was at a very famous bakery in Pittsburgh called Moyo's. And uh, as usually happens, we go into the place first, you know, we mic up, we introduce ourselves, then we begin recording. And so sometimes we're realizing now great stuff is lost because we're not recording every second of our conversations. But we walked into Moyo's and as Pat usually does with all of our guests on this show and the greetings, his first question was about where the family came from in Italy. And uh, the, the proprietor, Tony Moyo, basically said, we think Calabria, but we're not sure. And we lost this history, blah, blah, blah. I'm not exaggerating. Roe can confirm. It was the first two minutes we were there. And Pat said, hold on. I'm going to find your family history. I made a bet with him first. Yeah, you he did. thought I was crazy. I said, within five minutes, I'm going to get the answer to this. Yes, <laughs> she did like if we had timed it, it was like seven minutes. I mean, it was incredible. And I mean, is Tony Moyo like still texting you? I think Pat made a forever friend that morning. I have to text Tony Moyo. And there, I'll tell you what my secret is. It's the World War One draft cards. Yeah, you love going through those. I'm not an expert in this. I'm sure there'll be a genealogist out there who, could, who can correct me. When World War One broke out in 1917, basically every man from like 18 to his early 50s, like 52, had to register for the draft, whether you were qualified, if you were injured or you had some kind of disability, whether you were able to serve or not, you had to register. And I would say the majority of the cards, from what the research I've done, some cards are different than others. Why? I don't know. I'm sure there's someone out there who would know. But on those cards, um, it asks, where were you born? And it'll have the place and the country. So the Italians, remember, they're all young guys who came over, most of them who had come over in the 1880s and 1890s. They will state on those cards the town they were from and the province where they were from in Italy, the World War One draft cards. So with Tony Moyo, I just asked where, you know, was your family in Pittsburgh in 1917 or where were they? I think they were in Utica for a while. And what was his grandfather's name? And a list of people with that name came up and we went through a few of them. And what helps with the World War One draft card is it has where they lived. It has their, you know, like what they did for a living, what their wife's name was. So I said to him, you know, is this your grandmother's name? Yes. Is this where they lived? Yes. He was in the pastry business. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. That's why it's so quick to do. The the World War I draft cards are an absolute treasure. If you're having a hard time finding your Italian roots, get onto the military records, look on the World War I draft cards. And let's say your name is, your relative's name is Tony Antonio Russo, right? Which is like John Smith in Italian. Well, where did Antonio Russo lived? You know, he lived in Utica, New York. Okay. So you see so many Antonio Russos in Utica. Okay. You go through them. And then all of a sudden you're going to see your great grandmother's name. You'll see an address and then ding, 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 you're there. And then one interesting thing about the World War One draft cards is Italy has a habit of changing the names of towns. Yeah. You know, someone I helped the genealogy with recently both his grandparents were born in Italy, I guess, during the time of the Great Migration, the 1880s. When they came to America, uh, the t- they came to America, their town had one name. When they, when the father signed, when they had the Declaration of Intent to become citizens, which is also a really great document. The, the later the Declaration of Intent, the more you can find out where your family was born. And when you can find this stuff online as well, the Declarations of Intent, um, he gave his town in Calabria. And he gave his wife's town in Campania and both towns have changed their names. 
So then you, you Google the name and then it'll come up on Wikipedia. Town Italy will say like um, Vivo Valencia in Calabria, where his grandfather was from. The town was originally Monteleone di Calabria. Mm. So that kind of stuff comes up. But the ancestry between the World War One draft cards and the declarations of citizenship intent for 95 percent of the people out there who can't find where their ancestors from, that is the. That's how I do my magic. I should never have told this. <laughs> I've completely deflated my myth because I'll walk, I'll walk in somewhere and I can say, ah, oh, within five minutes, like, wow, he's that good. But that's all I do. It is a good party trick. It's the best <laughs> party trick in the world. Why do I open myself? Stupid I am. <laughs> We're going to have to redact it. I give away all my secrets. Yeah, the Candace, because just get on those World War One records. And I mean, sometimes it'll have a, a misspelling. But see, the good thing is when people arrive, let's say at Ellis Island, they knew no English. They're petrified. They probably didn't even speak any Italian at all. They only spoke their local language. They get off a boat. They're, they're, there's a good chance they're illiterate. You know, they're scared. They're nervous. But by the time they found out the World War One draft card, they've been in America 10, 20 years. They got two or three kids. They can speak enough English that they can, you know, have a conversation, fill the card out. That's why those World War One draft cards are, are a goldmine of information. Well, I highly recommend anybody who's got a mystery goes into them and I even more so, gets in touch with Juzi, with Michele, with the Museum del Cognome, because this is a resource that uh, I don't think people realize exists in Italy. And our hope is that in sharing this conversation today, we have revealed to you that there are dedicated Italians who, as Juzi said, are emotionally attached to your story as much as you are. They're there for you to help with research, to create interesting opportunities, to find the people in the stories behind who you are. So let me tell you something. If you're looking for a genealogist, he's fantastic. He helps you find long lost, lost family in Italy. So if he can do it, he does do it. So not only do you get to see where the house they came from, but you get to meet the family that stayed behind. And he loves genealogy, Michele. That's the beautiful part of this. He's not just a person you hire to get you there. He's a person that you hire to get you there who shares the experience with you because he's living his dream job. Yeah, that's true. And if he if he does a really good job, like he did for John, they'll practically name the town after you. you people. <laughs> Let's hope we got to go back. They had like the church bells ringing. The mayor came out. It was it was amazing. They gave him so many gifts. It was like a U-Haul. I'm not kidding you. Macaron. <laughs> I, I, right. Yeah, they gave I, you give wine, oil. It was like unbelievable. I don't think I've ever felt more special in my life than that trip. The prodigal son did not <laughs> get the reception in the Bible. <laughs> got from Latronico. Yeah, they treated me great. And John's family makes the best daraos. They look like pretzels. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're really good. They were very good, those daraos. The viola daraos. That was like the greatest thing ever. Who knew that you were like the heir to a tarali fortune? <laughs> this does seem outside my wheelhouse. Me and John talk about coats of arms all the time. You should make your coat of arms a daral with a viola flower, with a viola. <laughs> That'd be the greatest thing. You have a bouquet of violets. And instead of having them like bound by a ribbon, you have them bound by a taral. That is like the greatest. And the warm embrace of a freshly baked taral. That'd be yeah, perfect. Yeah, because that's like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Bro, do you agree? Do you think John should make his coat of arms, the violets and a taral? I think you should start designing these for people, Pat. I, think, so. I think no one has the vision that you do. Oh, yours. I often said if Ro had a coat of arms, it would be an octopus and broccoli rab. He'd have, it'd be an octopus holding a bouquet of broccoli rab. In flower. Pat also suggested that uh, I carry a bouquet of broccoli rab when I got married. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that would be the most appropriate flower. 
He was very disappointed. If you had a broken apple bouquet in flower, I thought that'd be like the greatest thing. You would start a trend. How many girls out there would be getting broccoli dot bouquets? <laughs> and that's a, it's an edible bouquet. You could cook the bouquet afterwards. You could have made the bouquet with like goricata. How great would that have been instead of instead of tossing the bouquet? Okay. I would have been out. There. Yes, I would have <laughs> caught the bouquet and brought it home and made it with goricata. That would be the greatest. <laughs> like thing a shop right bag. Yeah, instead of throwing out the garter, the bride could throw out the the broccoli dot bouquet. And you could have the husband throw out a thing of like orichetta, and then they could get together the girl who catches the brokidab and the guy who catches the orichetta, and they can make macaroni together. <laughs> Let's hope that's what they're making together. Well, yeah, you know what? <laughs> well, this has been really great, and I highly recommend. We're going to link from the show page in our show notes the museum and the book. And, Juicy, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing this amazing project with us. And I hope everybody goes out and uh, when you're in Italy, make a point to go to Padula. Meet this amazing team. I love Padula. Yeah. They have the greatest bread. If you go to Padula, let me know. I was in ecstasy. The bread in Padula is like nothing you've ever had. Yeah, it's a wonderful place to be. Oh, I love. Yes. Go to Padula. Go to the museum and get the bread. Well, Pat's going to be dreaming about bread. We hope you're dreaming about ancestry and your family history and all the things you could learn at the Museo del Cognome. So, Juzi, thank you so much for being with us. Gracias. Thank you, too. We await you here. Yes. Yes, I'm co- I'm coming back for the bread. I'm coming back for lunch. Oh, Michele can cook for you, eh? Eh, you know, I never refuse the meal. I'll stay there for a month. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you want to join in, I'm sure we can get you a meal there too. And uh, hopefully you're doing your family research right now after listening to this one. And from all of us, the Italian American Podcast, we'll see you next week. Dun, 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 dun. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano 